Well, I want to welcome you again. We are glad that you are here. Uh, you know, I mentioned last week, so I'm, um, I'm really enjoying it. I've been preaching from an iPad for several years now just with, uh, with eyesight issues and it's nice because I can make it as big as I want and as bright as I want and it's been getting harder and harder to just read print and so I stumbled, I think I mentioned last week, I'd stumbled across a Bible that just isn't like big print. If you look it up on Amazon, you have to look up super giant print. Like that's what it's called. It's actually 17 point um, and so I'm loving it. It's super heavy but I can like read again which is fun. And I don't know about you, there's something about a physical Bible for me, books that I enjoy so much. It's so tactile and I enjoy it. Now, the real benefit to this is it's so big I can read it and you can probably read it at the same time. So, you know, we can read together. But I'm going to read for us um, from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, which is our text this weekend, continuing on from where we left off last weekend. Paul says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now there's a lot in there. There's a lot packed in there. It's only two sentences long in the English Bible. Of course, they didn't have punctuation in the Greek, which may be uh, why those sentences are so long. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive in. But let me just say, having said all of that and read all that, the idea this weekend is very simple. Paul's just telling us how we can pray for other people. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you for the opportunity um, even on a beautiful sunny day to get together with some other believers and uh, to, to praise you, to sing to you, to worship you and now to hear from you. And I pray, Father, that you will take your word and you will do what only you can do that you will deliver it to our hearts. As scripture says that the eyes of our hearts may be opened and so that we may see you. And in seeing you, we will also see how we are to think and to live and to act and to feel. And so we pray for these things now in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So it's been said, if you want to find out about somebody, there are two questions you could ask. I'm sure there's probably five or six or ten you could ask. But I want to mention two this morning. The first is... Um, Find out what someone spends their money on and you'll find out a lot about that person, right? So if you really wanted to know some things about someone, maybe not everything, but a lot of things, you could look at their bank statement and looking in their bank statement, you would discover some things about them. You might discover how important food is to them. So we got to eat and we got to spend money on food. But you might find out how important food is to someone by looking at their bank statement or, or maybe lodging. You might see how much somebody's willing to pay uh, for their mortgage or for rent. And again, it doesn't tell you everything, but it tells you some things about a person or, or how much they're willing to spend on a vehicle uh, or, or maybe travel. Right? So some people like to travel a lot, some less. See how much someone tra uh, spends on travel and you find out some things about them. What are they willing to spend on education? 
Uh, what are they willing to spend on a hobby? Uh, what are they willing to spend? Well, so I'll give you an example. Uh, my office is up in the corner upstairs of the building. And from there I can look out a, uh, onto a couple of parking lots. And one of the things I like to do uh, before the services, I'll go up and get some water and a snack really quick. While I'm up there, I'll look out uh, the windows and I'll see some of you coming in. And so when I see you getting out of your car, I'll just pray for you by name as you're coming into the service. Pray for the service and, the, and, and what happens in here. But it always, I'm kind of looking out and this last week I'm looking out my window to the north parking lot and uh, this vehicle pulls in and it kind of caught my attention because I don't know, it was probably maybe like a 2008 Camry uh, with a uh, exhaust kit on it. So it just kind of, really? Like, you know, it's a 2000, it's a Camry, and they, they pull in, it sounds cool, but, you know, I mean, it's a Camry, and so they pull in, and they park, and I notice inside there's four guys, uh, look like they're in their 20s, and one of them gets out and comes down and walks down into the neighborhood, so I know exactly what's going on. He's going down to buy some drugs, and we, I've seen this happen before, and, but the guy, he, he ends up coming back, he gets in the car, and they all, you know, kind of get around. I can see the whole thing going down, right? So, and then they, they, they start doing this and they start doing this in the car and they're just getting really hopped up. Now I don't know their names and I don't know what they do for a living and I, and I know their license plate number but I don't really know anything else about them but I mean and I don't know what uh, I don't know what cocaine's going for. I don't think they give it away so I mean again it tells us something about them what they're willing to spend um, their money on. So what do you spend your money on? That'll tell you something about someone Here's the other thing that'll tell us a little bit about you. What do you pray about? Like, what do you pray about most? That tells us a lot about a person. Maybe you pray about health. Maybe that's an important thing, a, a concern right now, or the health of people around you. Maybe you pray for wisdom, right? We all need wisdom. Uh, maybe you're praying for some of the basics, food and shelter. You probably pray about relationships. How much do you pray about those? Maybe you pray about, you know, success at school or success at work or promotion or getting an A on a test or decision making. Maybe you pray for the salvation of people around you that don't know the Lord or spiritual growth. Maybe you pray for sunshine. If you do, thank you very much. Uh, you know, but what we pray about, it, right, it reveals something about us, something important. It, it, it talks about what we value. And in Colossians, and we're going through the, the book of Colossians, we'll be doing this until uh, just about October of this year. And it's a letter that a guy named the Apostle Paul wrote to a very young church, a church that had probably been around for just a year or two, and they were meeting in someone's home. It was a small uh, church, and last week we looked at the introduction to the letter, and today we continue on in verse 9. And Paul says this, and so, from the day that we heard, that is the day that he heard that this church had been started, church had been planted, and people were coming to Christ. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. So Paul is praying for people he has never met in a place he has never been. And he's praying for them. And it brings up a good question like, why do we pray? What's that about? And I, I think that at its basic level, prayer is at least a declaration that we believe that God hears us and that we can trust God, that we believe he's sovereign and, and powerful and that he can answer our prayers, right? Why else would we even pray to him? And that he is a good God. And it says here, Paul says he has not ceased to pray for them. So this is, this is vital. So vital that he does it continuously as he thinks about them. And one of the things that really stuck out to me this week as I was pondering this passage of this, Paul prayed for them first. 
Before he wrote this letter, he had been already praying for them. Uh, Before he gives them any advice, he's already been praying for them. Before he does anything else, he, he prays for them. And it made me think, what if we did that? Like, what if we prayed before we spoke? What if we prayed before we opened our mouth and gave people our uh, opinion of something? What would our relationships be like if we prayed before we gave people advice? Or before we went into the office? Or before we sat down at a meal with our family? Or before we made a decision? Or before we confronted someone? What if we prayed first? It's just uh, an idea, right? You probably think, well, that could be revolutionary. Now in this passage, Paul's going to mention two ways that we can pray for people. So I know there's a lot of notes and a lot of lists today, but really it's just about two things. Paul wants to talk about two ways that we can pray. So we can pray this for ourselves, but the the gist of this today is Paul's talking about how he prays for other people and how we might want to be praying for other people. And the first is this. Paul says when he prays for the Colossians, he prays for knowledge. He prays that they will have knowledge and a very specific kind of knowledge in verse 9. And so, from the day that we heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with a knowledge of God's will. And he kind of describes the knowledge of God's will this way, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the Bible tells us to pray at all times and to pray without ceasing and to pray for everything. But here Paul gives us a couple of very specific things to pray for. He says pray about God's will in the lives of the people around you. God's will. What is God's will for your relationships? What is God's will regarding your needs? What is God's will for your education, for your job and how you do it? What is God's will for your finances and your health and your calendar and how you spend your free time? Did you know God has a will for you? And so he says we should be praying for the will of God. And he kind of describes it this way. The will of God is full of spiritual wisdom and it's understanding. It's knowing uh, what action or behavior is good and wise. What is it that God wants us to do? Now I'm going to suggest that the key to understanding God's will. And so a lot of times when we think, how do I know God's will? So I'm going to look in the Bible for where it tells me God's will. But I would suggest that really if you want to understand God's will, you need to understand God. You need to know God if you want to know God's will. So I say this because sometimes Christians will say, I'll hear things like, well, I'm not into theology and I'm not really into doctrine and reading nerdy books about God and stuff. I just just want to know God and I just want to know Jesus and he's going to just be my bud and we're going to hang out together and I want an authentic relationship with Jesus. But you understand that theology is the study of God. It doesn't get any more personal then theology, it's the study. of If you say, I don't care about theology, what you're really saying is, I don't really care about knowing about God. I don't really want to know anything about him. It'd be like, well, you know, I want to date somebody, but I don't want to hear anything about her or her life or anything that's going on. Theology is about God. It's the study of God. And as we get to know God's character, we also begin to discover God's will. Did you know those things go together? So theology is vital if you want to have an authentic relationship with the Lord. Doctrine is actually really important. Now we talked last week about a group of people that Paul was concerned about. Uh, We call these people the Gnostics. 
Uh, the Gnostics were people who, who existed. They were, some of them were in the church during that time. Uh, they kind of infected the church. Uh, and they believed that the Bible was a good place to start, that Jesus might be a good place to start your spiritual journey, but the Bible was not enough and Jesus was not enough. Uh, Gnostic, Gnosticism, uh, Gnosis is the word it comes from. It means knowledge. And what they meant was Gnostics were people who believed there was a secret knowledge. Like you could open your Bible and you could learn some things about God, but there was this, this Gnostic stuff, this secret stuff that you could only learn about God in kind of secret rituals. And you had to know certain passwords and phrases and rites and initiations if you wanted to find out the deeper things about God. You couldn't find it in the Bible. You had to find it through Gnosticism. And I would just suggest, just to kind of maybe bridge the last 2,000 years, that Gnosticism is still very much alive and well, uh, both in the world and unfortunately in the church as well. And, you know, I see people on Facebook and YouTube all the time, um, pastors who are talking about, you know, like, um, so here's some stuff, but then they'll say, I got some other stuff for you, you know, um, some extra stuff. They would never use the word Gnosticism, but that's what it is. And sometimes it sounds like this, a uh, pastor might say, well, God gave me a word. Right? But when someone says God gave me a word, what they mean is, they don't mean this word, right? What they mean is you won't find it in here. It doesn't belong in here. That's why they had to get a word because you're not going to find it. In Whenever someone says to you, God gave me a word, that's like a huge red flag right there. God gave me a word. In other words, this doesn't come from the Bible. That was something that existed back then and it still exists in churches today. Or stuff like prayer formulas. You'll hear sometimes people say, well, if you pray in this way, then God has to give you what you ask for. You might say, do pastors actually teach that? Absolutely they do. Or positive thinking. If you're just positive, right? There are pastors that say, if you, just, if you just put positivity out there, then the universe will just send positivity back to you. Or maybe, have you heard about uh, grave sucking? So this is, like, there's a really big church in California that teaches this thing called, I'm not making this up, it's grave sucking, you can look at it. I won't name the church, but it's a really big church that puts out lots of music. And um, they do this thing, so the, the pastor there has taught this, he's told people, if you, uh, if you know of somebody who is really, really spiritual and they're dead, find out where their grave is. They practice this. And you go to the grave of a dead person who's really spiritual, and you lay yourself out on the grave, right? This is super, sounds like the beginning of a really creepy movie, doesn't it? And you lay yourself out and then you pray, then and you suck up their faith, all right? Like this is weird, weird kind of stuff. Uh, or you'll hear pastors say things like, if you just repeat a phrase in this way, then God will give you an experience that you'll never get from the Bible alone. Gnosticism. It says that Jesus isn't enough, that the Bible isn't enough, that you need gnosis. What's interesting here is Paul doesn't pray for gnosis in the word knowledge there. He prays for epigenosis. Epigenosis means a, a full knowledge. And here he means a full knowledge of God. What he's saying is he, he's praying that they will have a full knowledge of God and of God's will for them and have all the wisdom and understanding they need to be able to follow the Lord. Now that being said, none of us are experts on everything, right? We, we all have areas in our life where we don't have full knowledge. So for instance, we probably all know people who own a computer. Um, maybe they use a computer. We wouldn't say they're really epigenosis when it comes to a computer. They, uh, they, they know almost nothing about it. Uh, they can't 
tweak the settings without destroying the thing. Uh, they can't fix their own Wi-Fi problems or they can't load a new app or set up their email or run updates. They always need people to help them with it, all right? They don't have an epigenosis. They're really lacking a lot of knowledge. So I, I know how to use computers pretty well, but there's things I don't know how to do well. So for instance, I was thinking of all the things I don't know how to do well. So this, this is what I got when I got my, uh, my Tacoma. And it has all of these manuals in there. Now, I don't know if you can see it from there, but um, the only one in here that isn't wrapped in cellophane still is the quick start guide, okay? Like, that's it. When I got my truck, I, I wanted to know how to start the truck, which was easy. Just push the button. I wanted to know how to set up Apple CarPlay, um, how to use maps. That's really important. And how to put in a four-wheel drive. That's really all I wanted to know, and that's about all I know how to do, I found on the quick guide. The rest of these things, you know what I'm going to read these? Well, when I have to, which is hopefully never. And here's why. Because it's just a truck. It's only a truck. It's not my life. It's not really that important, right? But my spiritual life is infinitely more important. And so we need to open up God's word. We need to open it. We need to read it. We need to know it. We need to know God. Now, I want to make a clarification, by the way, when I'm talking about manuals and I'm talking about the Bible. I would just tell you this. I know pastors who like to refer to the Bible as a manual for living. I don't like the metaphor. I don't like it at all. Um, because I think it's almost antithetical to what the Bible really is. So, for instance, sometimes I'll hear people say, well, the Bible's a manual. It teaches us how to live. And you understand the Bible primarily is the self-revelation of God. Okay, that's really different than a manual. When you say it's a manual for living, what it means is the Bible's all about you. But the Bible is all about God. It reveals God to us. It's God's self-revelation. So sometimes I'll hear pastors say things like, you know, the Bible is a manual for living. In fact, I was listening to a guy the other day on YouTube, a pastor who's a better teacher than I'll ever be, um, has tens and tens of thousands of people in his church, but this is literally what he said to his congregation. He said, the Bible is God's manual for your life. And even if you don't believe in Jesus, he actually said this, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you should still use the Bible. Because it's, it's full of wisdom on how, to, on, on how to have relationships and how to do a marriage and, and how to manage money and how to do a job. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you should still use the Bible. To which I would say, that's missing the entire point of the Bible. It's like turning the Bible and its purpose upside down. In John 5, notice what Jesus said. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Because in them you'll learn how to balance your checkbook. Because in them you'll learn how to make good decisions in your relationships. And Jesus says, no, it is these that testify about me. The Bible reveals Jesus. The Bible reveals God to us. And so Paul comes along and he prays that, these, that, that the Colossians would have spiritual understanding. How do we gain spiritual understanding? Well, the short answer is the Holy Spirit. A little bit longer would say this, that, that the Holy Spirit of God moved people throughout history to, to write the words of God, to record them down, and, and they were passed along to us. And so today, when you open your Bible and you read the Bible, 
You are reading words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when you read them or when you hear them, the Holy Spirit can take them and deliver them to our hearts and our, and our minds and we can begin to understand the Word of God. It is work that the Spirit does in us and He grows us in our understanding of God and the character of Jesus. And in doing this, we also begin to understand the will of God and wisdom that God has for us. And when you get to know God's word, you get to know God. And when you get to know God, you'll begin to understand the character of God and the will of God for you. But we've got to be into the word. There's just no other way around it. So we need to read it. And if you have to get a great big giant 25 pound Bible, then you should do that. But right, we live in an amazing day and age. You can get it in print. You can read it on your phone. You can read it on your computer, on your iPad, on your Kindle. You can have someone read it to you while you're commuting or just sitting outside today enjoying the sun. You know, we have, but we need to get into it. And I would say when we get into the word of God, we need to concentrate on it. We need to fix our, our mental gaze on the word. We need to listen to what God is trying to say. When we're listening to a sermon, when we're hearing teaching, we need to concentrate. We need to focus on it. We need to get it in. Really take this in. And so Paul says we should be praying for each other. We should pray for the people that we care about that, that they would have a knowledge of God's will and that they would gain spiritual wisdom. I just would ask, do you pray for the people around you? Do you pray that for them? Do you pray that for your spouse? Do you pray that they will know God's will? Not your will, but God's will. Do you pray that they will grow in their spiritual understanding? Do you pray it for your kids? Do you pray it for your parents, for your friends? Do you pray it for your pastor? Your pastor needs it. You should pray for him. I, I pray this for my family more than anything else that I pray. This is the prayer that I pray. That they will know God's word and that in knowing God's word, they will know God's will. And that takes us to the second thing. So Paul says, pray for two things. One, for a knowledge of God's will. And second, I just put it this way, uh, to pray for walking. So in verse 10, we get this idea here to pray for walking. So as to walk, why do we get knowledge? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So for Hebrews uh, that would hear this, uh, the word walk was always symbolic. It referred to um, the way you conducted yourself. Uh, you can think about it, and it's a, it's a wonderful way to think about uh, your spiritual life because it's not just a one-time thing. It's a step-by-step-by-step -step -step as you go through your day. You walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to describe how to walk with the Lord and he's going to give us kind of four ways. And it's not important that you remember all four, but maybe the big picture. But let me just break it down for you. He talks about walking with the Lord in four ways. First of all, he talks about a worthy walk. So basically what scripture says again and again and again is that spiritual knowledge should lead to action in our lives. And the tendency is just, I'm going to oversimplify things here. But in general, we all tend to lean towards one or the other. We either tend to lean, lean towards uh, kind of being a person of knowledge or a person of action. Right, so we all know people who are kind of people of knowledge. They love to read and, and, and ponder and think. And they may never get out of their chair and ever do anything they learn, but they love to learn. And then we know people who like jump first. And then once they jump into a mess, then they ask questions, right? And what we know is we really need both. We need to be people who are both, who have both knowledge and who act on that 
knowledge. So Paul prays for the Colossians that they would have knowledge, but that it would lead to a conduct that was worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is something we should be praying for the people in our lives, that they would both know the word of God and that they would live it out in their life. Notice what he says here. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he describes it this way. He says, fully pleasing to God and bearing fruit. So I love that idea, bearing fruit in every good work. So bearing fruit simply means this, that as they're walking through their day step by step, that their actions would produce a Christ-like fruit. So in other words, the words that they would speak would reflect Jesus. Like that's, that's fruit. Um, that the deeds that they would do would be fruitful, that they would reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, that like Jesus they would serve people, that there would be the fruit of faith and hope and love. Bearing fruit, in, in the Greek here, it's in the present and continuous state for every moment in, in every situation. So how we talk to people. Do you know there's a way to talk with people that can, that can produce fruit? And not, so you're not just talking at them, that it's doing something. How we drive can produce fruit or uh, unfruit sometimes. Or you know, how we make decisions, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we conduct ourselves at work or school, or how we treat our family and everything that we could do. It's like, wouldn't that be amazing to live a life where as we walk through our day, we get to the end of our day, we think back and we can see fruit. We could see fruit that God did through us to, to see how God used us and to know that you made a difference. Wouldn't it be great at the end of the day to look back and go, God used me today to make a difference in the lives of people around me. So he talks about a worthy walk. And then he talks about a knowledgeable, uh, a knowledgeable walk, which is interesting because he just talked about knowledge and now he's going to do it again. So in verse 9, Paul said, you know, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then in verse 10, notice he says uh, that they would walk in a worthy manner and then it goes on to say so that they would increase in the knowledge of God. So he's kind of describing not a circle as much as maybe a spiral. Um, he's, he's describing it this way. He says, I'm praying that you'll know God's will. And as you know God's will, then I'm praying that you will do God's will. Right? That you'll walk in a worthy manner. But then it doesn't stop there. As you do God's will, he says something happens here. You grow in the knowledge of God. I think about it this way. So you, you know God's will, you do it, and when you do it, you discover God's good. You discover that God's way is right. Maybe you need to have a discussion with someone, and so you pray about it, you think about it, and you approach it according to the will of God, and then you discover, oh, that God, God's in that. God does that. And we begin to discover the goodness of God, which causes us to grow in our understanding of God's will for us. And so as we do this, Paul says, I, I picture that you do the will of God and then you grow even more in the knowledge of God. There's a cause and effect between these things. I don't know if you've ever wished that maybe you were one of those super wise people full of knowledge. You know people like that? Like they're just super wise and, and everyone goes to them for knowledge and advice and you wish you were one of those people. Wisdom for making decisions and how to have conversations and pursue relationships and all that. But see, as we put God's word into action, as we begin to understand God and his will for us and we put it into action, then it says that we will grow in wisdom and knowledge and we'll know best how to live. And so God says, let's pray that 
for people around us. And then he describes walking with God in a, in a third way. He says, I pray you'll have a powerful walk, being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. So God is all powerful. So he says, I pray that you'll have the power of God to do all this stuff. In two words, he says, with endurance and with, with patience. So we can think of it this way. I think I have it in your notes. Endurance refers to a God-given power to deal with difficult circumstances. And patience is a God-given power to deal with difficult people. Difficult circumstances, difficult people. We all face those on a regular basis. So Paul says, I pray you have endurance um, because we have an enemy. If you're a believer in Christ, you have an enemy that's trying to break you down, that's trying to get you to compromise, that's trying to get you to fear and not stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and living out the will of God. And it's trying to do it through instilling fear. It can do it through people or social forces. You know, and so we need God-given endurance to never stop walking boldly with the Lord. But we need patience too, right? Because sometimes we have difficult people in our life. People who maybe oppose our faith, uh, people who are negative, people who are manipulative, people who are abusive and try to encourage sinful thoughts and actions. So we, again, he says, let's pray for each other. Let's pray for each other that the people around us will have endurance and that people around us will have patience. And then he describes walking with the Lord in one more way. He says, thankful, that you'd have a thankful walk. He says, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. It's a participle, it's continuous, that we should always be doing this. We should always be thankful. And he gives us in this text three reasons to be thankful. And again, it's not really important that you understand all these, but the big picture is there. First, he says, one reason you should be thankful is because you're qualified. So, you know, maybe you, you came in here this morning and you weren't feeling extremely thankful. So I'm just going to give you a couple reasons why you should re maybe reconsider that. So first of all, he says, we're qualified. The Father has quali qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And our culture is really obsessed with qualifications and to have degrees and titles and, and letters after your name. I remember back uh, when I got ordained and after I got ordained and the whole thing, right? All my friends who were ordained were like, all right, so you're ordained now, so you're a reverend now. And whenever you sign things, you should always sign it Reverend Bob, you know? And, and have people refer to you as Reverend Bob. Don't ever call me Reverend Bob. Um, it's not that important. But you know, our culture's really into that, isn't it? Paul says that you are qualified to an inheritance, to share in an inheritance, he says, as saints of light. In 2 Corinthians 4, it puts it this way. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. We live in the light of God. And it is God who has qualified us. We didn't earn it. He is the one who brought us into the light. Right? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see because I'm living in the light of God. God has done that for you. One of the reasons you should be thankful is because he's qualified you to live in the light. Here's the second one. He says, because we are delivered. In verse 13, and he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. 
So he's transferred us. That word is used in other places in the Bible to describe a a powerful king who basically deports an entire population to another place. And so God has taken us as believers and taken us out of the darkness and put us into the kingdom of his son, the, the kingdom of light. And we've been transferred through something that God has done. So another reason you should be thankful. You no longer live in darkness. You no longer live in sin. Well, that's actually the next one. He says, we are redeemed. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. All these things we'll be dealing with in detail in the weeks to come. But for now, let's just say this. He says, we have been redeemed. And in those days, that word basically would have meant uh, that referred to somebody who was a slave in a slave market and someone would come in and pay for them. They would redeem them and maybe they would set them free. And he's just saying we were slaves to sin. We were dead in our sin. We were powerless to free ourselves. But Jesus came and on the cross, he purchased our salvation. All of our sin, past, present, and future, paid for, redeemed through the death and resurrection of Christ. And so Paul says we ought to be filled with thanks. We should be thankful and grateful and joyful for the things that God has done for us. I would just say we don't always feel that way, do we? And I think it's not because we aren't blessed. It's just we're not thinking about it. We're not being thoughtful about it. And so it's something we practice. It's, it's something that we do. And if you're sitting here this morning going, oh, I don't feel so thankful today. I got, I got a lot of stuff I'm worried about. I would just again suggest, well, maybe we should start praying for that. Maybe we should pray that for one another. I, so when I think about being joyful and thankful, so again, I have to tell you, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I'm in my office and um, it's before a service. I'm grabbing some water and a snack and I look out my window and I'm doing what I often do. I see people coming in. I'm praying for you as you get out of your car. And I look up and um, I see Seth and Sarah. So maybe some of you know Seth and Sarah. Seth leads on the worship team sometime and um, Sarah is pregnant. She is uh, great with child. And this has been a very, very long um, thing for them. They have been um, trying to have a child for years. And so um, they pull into the parking lot and it kind of caught my attention. I was about to pray for them and I see Seth's door fly open and he jumps out of the car, slams the door, runs around the car, opens the door, and, and reaches his hand in and Sarah takes his hand and he, he, he kind of helps her get out because she's, she's pregnant. He helps her get out and once she gets out, he doesn't know I'm watching, he kind of does this and he jumps back and he's pointing at her stomach. Now generally, people don't want you pointing at their stomach but he's just beaming and he's just excited. You could just see the joy and he's kind of, if you know Seth, he's kind of bouncing around. I'm just watching him. I'm laughing at this guy. He's so thankful. He's so thankful for what's happening. And I thought as I saw that, I'm like, that should be us. That should be us every day when we think about what God has done for us. How God has blessed us. How God has saved us. How God has delivered us. How God is sovereign in our lives. How God is answering our prayers. We should be grateful and thankful for the things that God has done. And again, how can we foster that? Well, we can pray for each other. We can be praying for one another. Praying for the joy of God and the lives of people around us and thankfulness. God is so good to us. We need to pray for one another. So I, uh, 
Yeah, I know that I, uh, bra- in fact, talking to somebody afterwards, and they're like, you need to brag about um, your kids, and you brag about your daughter. And I always say, like, my boys are home, and so they don't really like attention, especially when they're in here. They don't want everyone looking at them. So I talk about my daughter because she's not here. So my daughter lives a thousand miles away in Arizona, and um, she, she went down there a few years ago uh, and, and got a degree, and then got a couple master's degrees, and then got some certificates, and she practices behavior therapy. She works with young kids who have autism and she just loves her job. She loves it. And then she became a supervisor and then she got some national certification and now uh, she is a clinical director. So she's running an entire clinic and she's 24 years old. Um, and so she, she's 24. So just think about when you were 24 and imagine running an entire clinic of people, most of them who are older than you. And so from the time that Abby became the clinical director, um, she, and she typically does this, but she'll call either me or, or Christy um, every day. We talk to her almost every day. And when she calls, she, in fact, I remember the, the first day she was clinical director, at the end of the day, she called me and she said, Dad, so we can't talk about specifics about her job or any of that, but in just generalities. And she called and she says, Dad, uh, it was my first day, I have a really big question for you. And I'm like, yeah, what is it, honey? And she said, how do you get people to do their job? Right, so we're just, so instantly she is running a clinic of people and so, so she calls all the time. Dad, I'm trying to do this. How do I do this? How do I help the person with this? How do I run a clinic? How do I do this kind of stuff? And I don't know. I don't know the answers to all this stuff, but I just listen to her and I try to encourage her, right? Because she's just 24 years old, right? And I wish I could be there. I wish I could be there and have coffee with her every morning and kind of help her, but she lives a thousand miles away. So I can listen to her and I can give a little advice and as soon as she gets off the phone, I pray for her. I pray for her, I pray for her. I pray that she will have God's wisdom, that she will know God's will for her at 24, that God will show her how to serve him and serve other people in that situation. I can't be there, but I can pray for her. And the reason I tell you this story is because in the same way that Abby needs that on a regular basis, so do you. You need it as much as she does. I need it as much as she does. Who are we praying for? Who do we care enough about that we would pray that for them? Because think about it this way. Yeah, we should pray that for ourselves, but we should definitely be praying it for the people around us. And if we're all praying for each other, then we're all getting covered in prayer. And imagine, imagine a church where everybody was not only praying that they would know God's will and walk in a worthy manner, but imagine a church where everyone was being prayed for by other people. So I'm going to close by just asking you uh, for a couple things. I don't, I mean, usually I give you some application at the end, but today I'm going to press in really hard. I'm going to make a hard sell here, all right? I'm going to ask you to commit to three things today. It's on your notes, on the back, and the first one is this. I want to ask you to commit to pray for some specific people this week. You can't pray for everyone. You don't have enough time. So I'm asking you to make a commitment to pray for someone or, you know, a small group of people. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Write down their names. If you don't have a pen, or you write it up here, write it on your phone. I'm asking you to make a commitment. I'm asking you to commit this week to pray this prayer for the uh, knowledge of God's will and worthy conduct. If you're married, you should definitely be praying it for your spouse. If you have kids, if you have parents, who will you do this for? Who will you pray for this week? That's the first thing I'm asking you to do to do that. Here's the second thing. I'm asking you to commit to pray first, right? Before you open your mouth this week, 
I'm asking you to pray. Actually, after the service, somebody said right after the service, oh, this is going to be awkward. (laughs) Before we say anything, we're all supposed to pray. So yeah, that's okay. Before opening your mouth, before giving your opinion, before giving your advice, before telling people what to do, would you pray first? Would you pray for that person because you love them and care about them so much that you're not going to just give them your opinion, but you're going to pray that God gives you wisdom. Imagine a family where everyone in that family prayed before they spoke and they acted. Imagine a grow group. Imagine a church. And here's the last thing. I want to ask you to commit to pray for these people that you've listed for a knowledge of God's will, not your will, but a knowledge of God's will, and that they would walk in a worthy manner. Imagine if we didn't just know this stuff, but imagine that we did it. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to close in a song together. Father God, I thank you so much for our time together in the Word. I thank you for your Spirit that speaks to our hearts. Father, I pray for every one of us that we would be people seeking a knowledge of your will and that we would do that by seeking you as you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And Father, I pray that we would people uh, who not only know your will, but who would walk in that will. And I pray for us, Father, that we would care enough for the people around us that we would pray for them before we talk to them, speak to them, tell them what to do, that we would pray for them. And in fact, before we close, I'm going to just ask you to do something with your eyes closed and your head bowed. I'm going to ask you right now, I'm just going to give you a few seconds here, would you pray for a few people? Who will you pray for this week? Would you just pray for them right now? Pray that, that they will know God's will for their life. And pray for them that they will walk in a worthy manner. Would you pray for some people by name right now? Just silently pray for them, and then we'll close together in a song.